Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And uh, I've got Ken Buck coming up in a little while, the congressman from Colorado. And, uh, well, how do do I begin here? Um, I actually, I, I, I resent being on radio today. Uh, I, I don't resent anyone for making me be on radio. I'm, I'm on radio today. Uh, and, and I resent it because I don't have the answer to a question. And I like to have the answers to questions. Before I come on the radio, I, I you know, I don't like to wing it. I, I do a whole lot of research and show prep. Uh, I, I don't like to do the partisan talking points. I, I don't put myself on the email lists of, of people trying to spin me so they can tell me what to say. Uh, I try to come up with the answers myself, go to the, the sources of information to be able to find it. There's no source of information that I can call upon to answer the question that frustrates me. There There's no source. There's no person. Uh, there There's nothing uh, where, where I can go to answer the question Uh, that makes me resentful for having to be on the radio today, and that is how long, how long do we hold on to the memory of the day that changed everything for this country uh, 19 years ago? Uh, How how long do we remember it? How how long do we spend time on on a, a radio program like this Remembering it, how long do we devote our time to it? How long do we devote our words to it? How long do we devote our tears to it? How long do we devote our memory to it? How long do we devote sleepless nights to it? 19 years ago last night, 246 people went to bed. This morning, they woke up and they headed to the airport. They piled into planes They went through uh, a very innocuous security. They went through metal detectors. They left their things in their bag. They didn't have to worry about their shoes. They didn't have to worry about their toiletries. They just went to the airport. It was normal in a way normal no longer is. And they boarded planes thinking they were going to various places across the country. And instead they landed in buildings or a field. 2,606 people went to bed last night expecting to wake up today and just grind it out of the office again. Some of them had meetings. Some of them had phone calls. Some of them had conference calls. Some of them had interviews. Some of them were making money. Some of them were losing money. And they all went to work. And many of them were dead by now. 343 firefighters went to bed last night. Some of them hugging their kids, wondering what the day would bring, preparing for shifts, trying to get rest. Right now, 19 years ago, some of them were trying to find access points into buildings, trying to figure out what was happening as a second plane was hitting about now. In a few minutes, another plane into the Pentagon. 60 police officers went to sleep thinking it'd be just another day at the office, another day on patrol. And it wasn't. Eight paramedics went to sleep, preparing for another day of driving ambulances around, mostly in the streets of New York City. 
in 50 minutes, they'll all be dead. I don't know when you stop. So I was in my, let me back up. When I was in law school, I had a professor, Adam Milani. He passed away several years ago. He was in a wheelchair, had been in an accident. Uh, it was a hockey hockey accident. Um, and, and he taught law at, at Mercer University's Walter F. George School of Law. He was a legal writing professor. And he had been a lawyer in Oklahoma City on the day the Murrah Federal Building uh, was blown up by Timothy McVeigh and uh, the other guy. And he had people from his office who were at the Federal Building. He had friends who were at the federal building, and he remembered that a lawyer had come in from out of town uh, to do a deposition, uh, arrived after the explosion. His office was in chaos, and the lawyer showed up and, and just flat out demanded that they do the deposition. I'll, I'll never forget that story uh, of Milani saying that was the day he knew he wasn't going to be a lawyer because he didn't want to work with lawyers if they were all like that. So fast forward to 19 years ago this morning, I was preparing for a deposition just like Milani was, and walked into, I, I was in Macon in the Fickling building downtown on the 14th floor, which is actually the 13th floor, but it's the 14th floor, uh, Selen Melton, my law firm, and I had to go into the break room to get a file, and Good Morning America was on, and uh, they were saying that a commuter plane had hit uh, the North Tower of the World Trade Center, and I, I had flown enough, you know, I've been flying uh, a transatlantic flight since I was five years old. And I knew just looking at the zoomed in picture there that, that there was no way that that was a commuter. It, it was too big for a commuter. And then of course, several eyewitnesses said, no, it was a big plane. And the, and the people I remember, the people in Good Morning America, they couldn't believe it because there were so many, it was a computer plane. Maybe it was a Cessna. There was too much fire for that. And, and as they're speculating on it, the second plane hits. You know, it's funny, the other day I pulled up the, the footage from Fox News of that morning. I think it was John Scott in the anchor chair. It sounded like his voice. And they they had on a guy and the guy, I, I older guy, and he was saying he, he, he really didn't think it was anything. It was, you know, sun in people's eyes, sun in a pilot's eyes. If it was a small commuter plane and, and, and you know, just as drivers have wrecks with the sun in their eyes, the way the plane was going... Uh, possibly there was sun in the pilot's eyes and he just didn't see the building in front of him. That was the actual commentary of the supposed expert on Fox News that morning. And as he's saying this, they're watching and you see a second plane fly out of nowhere and the second building explodes, at which point the expert is at a loss for words. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. The weapon, we had seen hijackings before. You know, I was a kid, I grew up in Dubai. And um, we, for a time growing up in Dubai, it was it was a very fun way to grow up because your school field trips were all involving getting on airplanes and flying to foreign countries. And for a time in the 1980s, hijackings were such a big thing and terrorism was on the rise that our school basically stopped foreign field trips. My sister got to go to Kenya in sixth grade. That was her class field trip to Kenya. And for several years, they stopped doing that. When I was in ninth grade, they had picked it back up again in our class for our, it was the senior class. We went to uh, Greece and, and Turkey. And um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with hijackings. This was the first time the hijackers 
killed the pilots, took over the plane, and decided to, to use them as weapons. So 19 years ago this morning, there I was in my law firm watching all of this, having to get ready for a deposition. And, and by God, just like with Milani, the the lawyer came in and and it just insisted. And it was it was it was nothing that could have waited. And and my boss's daughter was in New York City that day. It was election day in New York City. And my boss's daughter uh, was working the polls in New York at the World Trade Center. My wife has a friend who was headed to an interview at the at the World Trade Center, and she stepped out of her hotel and her high heel went into one of the subway grates, snapped her high heel. She had to go back into the uh, hotel to replace her shoes. She got to the World Trade Center as the second plane was hitting the building. A good friend of mine headed out his door on September 11th, 2001, to head downtown. Uh, Lives in Queens, had to catch the subway, forgot something, ran back into the house, got it, missed his train. His train never quite made it to the building that day, thankfully. I don't know where you, where do you stop with these stories? When do you stop remembering? And consequently, you know, life goes on, too. We're in the middle of a presidential campaign. Uh, Vice President Biden has has pulled his ads down. So has the president, the vice president. Historically, Joe Biden has refused, even going back to 2001, uh, in the Bush administration, uh, when he was just a senator, uh, Joe Biden has flat out refused since 2001 to ever campaign on September 11th, it, it, it has become a, a moment of national unity, and yet therein is your ultimate reminder of how not united we are as a country anymore. Uh, that it, it, it's, it's sad, but it is the reality that uh, 19 years ago, roughly 3,000 Americans united the country in their deaths through giant fireballs of airplanes flying into buildings the heroes of a plane saying, let's roll to take back a plane and ensure it crashed because it was on its way to Camp David or the White House or somewhere. We don't really know where. And that united the country. The acts of heroism, the acts of bravery. But there really hasn't been a moment since. It's all been tribal partisan politics. Nowadays, if I dare say anything nice about a Democrat, I, I get enraged, angry emails and, and, and hate mail and phone calls from Republicans. If I dare say anything nice about the president or a Republican, I get the same from Democrats. I, I, I'm, I'm a conservative. I, I'm a Republican. Uh, I'm a Christian. I, I'm an American. I don't hate the people on the other side, and, and yet a lot of them, I'm more and more mindful, hate me. Uh, And and I'm more and more mindful that a lot of the people who are on my side hate the other side, uh, believing them to be mortal enemies, believing them to be out to destroy America. 19 years ago, at this very moment, we were watching people try to destroy America. I haven't seen the Democrats flying planes into buildings trying to blow them up, nor have I seen Donald Trump do the same. Uh, we, we are not the enemy, and yet we have made ourselves so become uh, ignorant of, oblivious to the threats in the world that are real. We, we hate each other so much in this country. And 19 years ago, all of us were staring at our TV screens, united in the idea that we were Americans, we were in a great country, and now suddenly we're convinced the other side is out to destroy the country. And th- that actually frustrates me to no end. It, it infuriates me. 
uh, when I get these calls that, that well, well, you can't say this person's a good person because they're a Democrat and they believe this. And this view is anathema and, and you can't believe it. Well, you're a sinner too. Shut the hell up. I saw evil on 9-11. And they didn't care if you were a Democrat. They didn't care if you were a Republican. They didn't care if you voted. They didn't care if you supported George Bush or, or Al Gore or, or whoever. They were out to kill you because you were an American. They wanted to fundamentally disrupt this country. They wanted to to tear us apart, and, and it looks like it worked. They won, didn't they? Ultimately. Or at least we're letting them. We're letting them because uh, you hate the other political party. I, I don't particularly care for the policies of the people on the other side. But I, I try not to give in to hate of those people, blanketly. But it, it's I, I, it never ceases to amaze me now how how people I come into contact with can, can nuance their way straight into hate of the other side, that the other side is just evil, awful. No, I, I've, I've seen evil. I've seen them chop off the heads, saw off the heads of Americans because they were Americans. I, I've seen them put people in cages and set those people on fire. I've seen them fly planes into buildings to try to kill people who were American. I see people I disagree with. I, I, I see people who are bad. I see people burning down buildings now in America to try to get their way. And those are bad people. But we certainly seem this day and age to have been able to, to to fail to distinguish, to fail to nuance, to fail to recognize that our political divisions are political divisions on the direction of the country. And and you can save me your lectures on how no, no, those people really do want to destroy the country. They feel the same way about you. It's kind of sad to think 19 years ago this country was united as we watched tall buildings fall planes come out of the sky and today there there we can't even be united around sports last night nothing really unites us anymore except our hatred of the other side sad to think that the terrorists probably did win Given that, that's ultimately what they wanted to do. They wanted to undermine our sense as a, as a nation. They wanted to undermine our sense of safety, and, and they succeeded. The psychological impact of 9-11 is pervasive within our politics. And I don't know when we stop remembering it. We can't remember September 10th, 2001. September 10th, 2001 was such a normal every day that we have no memory of it because it was so normal. Every day there since has been abnormal. So when do we stop remembering? I don't know. I'm not prepared to yet. I was in my law firm that day. I wonder where you were. I'm happy to hear from you. 877-97-ERIC, 877 877- 
973-7425. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I actually am interested if anyone wants to call to know where you were, what were you doing on September 11th. I think it's important to hear those stories. I would be remiss if I didn't also uh, spend this time just telling you about a sponsor. Um, I I forgot to yesterday. I got to make it up to him today. Uh, True precision. Uh, And I I hate that I I got so distracted by all the interviews yesterday that I didn't get to bring up true precision. Uh, Largely because I I absolutely adore them. Um, They are wonderful people and they're a great company. And I couldn't do this show without them. And their website is true-precision.com. You support me by supporting them, by choosing to do business with them. Now, what True Precision does is they make parts for your existing guns. They don't make guns themselves. They make the parts for the guns. Uh, They make uh, parts for Glock, SIGs, M&P, and others. You can go check out their website at true-precision.com. They actually are very well made. My concealed carry gun of choice is a Glock 43X, and I worked with them every step of the way to to build it. The barrel, the sights, the slide. Uh, they're actually, uh, I'm sending it to them uh, on Monday to upgrade the trigger. They got new triggers, and uh, they're going to put it in for me. Go to true-precision.com. Just check them out. Um, you can order online. Uh, you can order the slides, the barrels, and, and the parts online, have them shipped to your house. And if you put Eric in at your checkout code, E-R-I-C-K, remember the C and the K, uh, then you will get 10% off. Uh, and thank you to them for the sponsorship of this program. Uh, and and let me let me be business here for just a moment uh, and, and say, if you're interested in advertising on the program, reach out to me, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com. We continue to grow. Uh, we're now on down in Brunswick. Uh, we're the only show from Georgia that covers state and national politics. Uh, we are in uh, everywhere you would want to be as an advertiser to, to get people from Brunswick to Lake Oconee to Macon to Valdosta to Athens to Rome to Dalton to Clarksville uh, up to the mountains uh, all over the place. We continue to grow. We've got more stations coming online. And, and frankly, we got to have advertisers. I, I, I don't actually earn any income from the show because we don't have enough advertisers. I'd like to get paid one day, uh, but... We'd love to be able to, to work with you as well. So uh, let us know if you want to advertise statewide across the state of Georgia. One-stop shop to get you in every corner of the state. Uh, we'd love to have you on the program, and we need it, and you could use the exposure. When we come back, uh, we do, unfortunately, have to get to politics. And, and, you know, this this, again, this is why I, I resent a day like this. I'm a professional. I've been doing this now for, for nine, ten years, and I, I just can't. I, I have a hard time navigating. Where's the balance between how, how do you deal on a day like this with, with what's going on in the world politically? How do you deal with a day like this uh, with remembering what happened 19 years ago? when We all as a country, we're actually united as a country. Uh, but uh, the real world beckons and we must get to it. I did watch the football game last night. I want to discuss that as well a little bit when we come back. Uh, a, a, a seeming... Moment of normalcy for Americans with a, a not quite full stay, st- stand. But you know what? The, the the audience there, man, watching football versus watching the Braves play, having a live audience matters for stuff like this. We'll get into all that when we come back. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 
877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! George W. Bush, remember, gosh, they resumed baseball shortly thereafter. And Bush shows up, you know, compared to to Fauci this year throwing out the ball. (laughs) Poor guy. Uh, George W. Bush throwing that ball. Um, Man, what a time. Here's Joe Biden earlier. I'm not going to talk about anything other than 9-11. Took all our advertising down. Solemn day. You can determine whether I make news, but I'm not going to be holding press conference. All right? That's Joe Biden. Uh, Took his ads down. Uh, No campaigning today. Focusing on uh, 9-11. Of course, he's being attacked for... (laughs) He's being attacked for... Uh, focusing on 9 there's just there's no win with any politician anymore from from the other side um i i i, I i'm not voting for the guy i'm i'm voting for the president but i i'm not going to attack joe biden for taking his ads off and and not this is what you're supposed to do uh, a buddy of mine points out that uh, today is the day we say never forget never forget it is uh, for the longest time, there were people who put stickers on the backs of their cars, on the back windows of their cars saying, never forget. And, and people trotted out, never forget today. But I mean, let's be honest. We've forgotten. We, we have forgotten the sense of unity. We, we have forgotten the sense of purpose. We have forgotten the sense of mission. We have forgotten that uh, the real threats are, are not the other party. We've, we've forgotten all of that. Uh, we, we have forgotten a, a, a day that she united us. And listen, we're always going to disagree politically. They, they disagreed politically after 9-11. Uh, they, they were arguing with each other within weeks of 9-11 over what to do. But it, no one was accusing the other side of being out to ruin the country. They were, they were arguing over what they thought was best for the country. And the the reality is now we think that when the other side disagrees that they're out to destroy the country, not just they they view things differently. There are people, but man, have we lost the ability to to navigate uh, everybody on every side? Now you, you know they they used to one of the attacks the Democrats used to make on George W. Bush was that he couldn't see shades of gray, that everything was very black or white. Uh, and nowadays, both sides. Uh, nobody can see shades of gray at all. I, I I used to be someone who people would say the same thing and, and suddenly feel like I'm the only person who sees all the colors, uh, the pastels and the bright colors, the, the blacks, the whites, and, and the, the shades of gray between. 
Thankfully, I, I suspect, you know, that there most people are, are actually in that boat and frustrated and you just w- you wouldn't know it if you live on social media so much. I my days are happier the less I use social media other than Instagram. I like Instagram because I, I, I try not to do anything political there. We put up clips from the show, but we're, we're, we're we curate to a degree so that we're not putting up anything that I, I don't think most people, except those who just aren't right in the head, um, most, most everyone, regardless of party, can can talk about. Now, we got to move on to other things. Uh, the reshaping of the of the post-9-11 landscape, the, the Bob Woodward book. I, I don't want to spend any more time on the Bob Woodward book. Can, can I be really honest with you? Um, I, I should. It's my show. If you don't like it, you can change the channel. Except this is the only game in town. Um I'm tired of talking about the virus in general. And I suspect a lot of you are too. Uh, There is good news. We continue to do better. Daily uh, cases and daily deaths continue to be on the right side. We continue to to see decreased hospitalizations. Nobody wants to cover that though, because it's not bleeding, so it's not leading. Uh, But I'm tired of the ancillary blame coverage as well. You would think that the president of the United States actually, you know, so there was a conspiracy theory derived from the QAnon people that this virus was actually created in a lab in North Carolina. There are actually people who believe this virus was created in a lab in North Carolina. Now, there's always a kernel of truth in these stories, and the kernel of truth is that uh, there was a Chinese SARS virus that was sent for research to a lab in, in the Research Triangle in North Carolina, and the, the United States military was researching it, but it's it's not this virus. There's always a kernel of truth in the lies. Uh, even, even the devil quoting scripture might have twisted it and lied about it, but but his his premise was was a truthful position that he then twisted. Uh, same with this. Um, and uh, so there are people who believe these things, and it's just nutty. There are, of course, the, the the people out there who believe all sorts of stuff of how good or bad the virus is, how likely it is or is not to spread, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, but I, I'm I'm really tired of everybody wanting a a single solitary scapegoat. You know, I have for years now talked about the rise of silver bullet politics. If you're, if you're a, I don't even know where it comes from, uh, but there is the, the idea of the world. Okay. Pause. Everybody hit pause. Everybody hit pause. My wife, (laughs) she won't mind me telling the story. There, there are uh, there are giant coyotes in Macon now, and I read in the paper that that they've come down from the north and and they've they've intermingled with wolves at some point, and they're just they're big coyotes. They're not only bigger, they're more aggressive. And we live in in northern Bibb County, right on the on the line. Man, if we were two hundred more feet, we'd have better taxes in Monroe County, uh, Georgia. And, and um, I keep thinking maybe may, so. There, there's a there's a border dispute between Monroe and Bibb County, and I keep thinking, you know, just bring it on down to my house, please. Get me into Monroe County. Um, but um, so so we've got these coyotes, and there was a pack of them. In we've got woods next to our house. And I slept through it. They woke up my wife. My wife was in the middle of a dream. These coyotes are are out there. (laughs) Her first thought was werewolf. (laughs) Then she snapped out of it, realized she she wasn't dreaming. It was real. It was coyotes. Um, Several years ago, we actually had a black panther in our neighborhood. And my wife, who woke up and, and wanted to tell me that she thought there was a werewolf, saw the panther 
didn't tell me because she had had an Ambien uh, to help her go to sleep and thought she was seeing things. And then the next morning I walked out into the backyard and there's a big panther in my backyard, big black panther, and, and call the Department of Natural Resources. They're like, oh, we don't have those. I was like, no, no, there really was one. And now um, in the past year, people down the street have also seen a, a black panther wandering the neighborhood. Um, but in any event, uh, so <laughs> werewolves. Werewolves is where I was going with this. There's the mythology, the legend, the storytelling that that uh, to kill a werewolf, you need a silver bullet. You can't kill a werewolf without a silver bullet. And I've just, I've started calling this phenomenon silver bullet politics, that uh, just this one thing is going to take out Donald Trump. This one thing is going to take out Joe Biden. This one thing is going to kill Obamacare. This one thing is going to kill the president's immigration plan. This one thing is going to do this. This one thing is going to, everybody's looking for that one thing, that one thing that's going to stop the other side, that one thing that's going to stop the policy um, that you don't like. And there really aren't silver bullets in politics anymore. There just simply aren't silver bullets. And to the extent the media is obsessed with Bob Woodward's book and and the blame game of the president of the virus, it has a lot to do with silver bullet politics. Listen, the press has internalized, and this is very, very important. You know the old saying, don't, don't start a fight with someone who buys ink by the barrel. The press has internalized the president of the United States' criticisms of them and his reference to them as the enemy of the people. And you may agree with the president on that, but you do need to acknowledge that a madman started preparing dossiers on members of the press to go kill them and their families because of the president's routine attacks on the press. And it may burn your ears for me to say that, but it is the God's honest truth. And if you don't like it, My problem is that you don't like the truth because it is a truth that that idiot in Florida, crazy dude who had Trump stickers all over his van, was sending pipe bombs to media organizations and had prepared files on on several members of the media and their families. And it was because he had internalized the idea that they they were enemies of the people. And you may think they're enemies of the people. But you need to understand that when the president of the United States comes out and says stuff like that, it can drive crazy people to do things. And don't lecture me on this because the president of the United States mean tweeted me when he was a candidate and I had three guys show up on my front porch to threaten me. The the, the willful obfuscation of people don't want to recognize that I had three men show up on my front porch to threaten my family. My children were harassed in a store with some man chasing after them that their father was destroying the country because the president of the United States, when he wasn't even president, was a candidate. He was mean tweeting me because I said I wouldn't support him in 2016. He and I have moved on from that. But crazy people can get provoked. Irrational people who view the other side as their enemy can get provoked. And the press has internalized the president's criticisms and the crazy people coming after them. They directly blame the president for it. And you can say it's unfair. And I would actually tend to agree with you that it is unfair. But I understand why. But the press now is looking for a silver bullet to take out the president. They're, they're, they're piling on everything, but they're really looking for that one thing to destroy the president. And they've decided that this week, Bob Woodward's it. They'll move on from Bob Woodward to something else. But I'm really tired of the coverage, and it's been 24 hours. I, I, I resent that they won't hold Bob Woodward accountable. You know, the president, uh, to, yeah, I, and I'm glad the president decided to do this. 
I'm glad the president internalized this to this degree. The president decided to make the issue of Bob Woodward holding all this stuff an issue yesterday. And he should because it highlights uh, the press's own irresponsibility in regard to some of the stuff, uh, given the way that they're willing to give a complete pass to the Democrats for doing similarly situated things, and uh, they won't give the president a pass on stuff. To be given credit, they have you, to be given credit. You knew this Please, was a deadly virus. You knew it was airborne. You knew on February seventh, you told Bob Woodward how it transferred from person to person in the air, how deadly it was. Why did you not come to the podium and call? Well, let me ask you this: If Bob Woodward thought that was bad, because this is stuff that everyone knew, there's a report that I have here someplace where China said it was airborne earlier than the statements I made. People knew it was airborne. This was nothing. This was no big. When I say it was airborne, everybody knew it was airborne. This was no big thing. I know that in February. Read the reports. China came out with a statement that it was an airborne disease. I heard it was an airborne disease. I assumed it early on. The fact is, there has to be a calmness. You don't want me jumping up and down, screaming, there's going to be great death. There's going to... really causing some very, very serious problems for the country. He's not wrong. If Bob Woodward thought what I said was bad, then he should have immediately, right after I said it, gone out to the authorities so they can prepare and let him know. But he didn't think it was bad, and he said he didn't think it was bad. He actually said he didn't think it was bad. The only one that said it was bad or thinks it was bad were the fake news media, because they take it and they try and put it a certain way. If Bob Woodward thought it was bad, then he should have immediately gone out publicly, not wait four months. You know, he's had that statement for four months, maybe five months. He's had it for a long time. It was a series of taped interviews, mostly by telephone. Quick ones, not long ones, quick ones. And it was, I did it out of curiosity because I do have respect and I want to see, I wonder whether or not somebody like that can write good. I don't think he can, but let's see what happens. Yeah, please. <laughs> But, you know, he's got a point there. The media is giving Bob Woodward a pass because he held on to this information until the week his book came out. They said, well, I had to make sure it was true. Coincidentally, it waited, he waited until the I, – I just I, – I, I have a hard time caring further about the story. Given the press giving Bob Woodward a pass, giving their willful distortions, by the way, uh, you do not want the president of the United States panicking people. And when Barack Obama was president, that was a well-understood and, and well-settled issue for members of the media. And now suddenly, the, the president, you may not like the way he handled it, but his intention was to stop a panic from happening. And now the media wants to assail him for that. I, it, the whole thing is is ridiculous. The whole thing to me, I'm just, I, I, I'm having a hard time caring about the rest of this election um, it just given the, the coverage, the, the, the antics, all of it, uh, I'm just kind of tired of it, tired of all of it, particularly tired of it today. Uh, nobody can give it a rest anymore. Never forget, uh, but act like you don't mean it, I guess. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Joe and Monticello, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, big time, long time, man. Uh, First, I got to just heartfelt. Uh, I used to listen to Herman Cain on on your same station, and man, I'm I'm just sorry that that guy's gone. I really, you could really have a conversation with that guy. I appreciate it. Yeah, and of course, sports before I love that dude too. Anyway, um, 
so I'm having a having a real tough time over these past few weeks. Like the last three revelations, Trump's Trump's sister, and then the troops being losers and suckers. That Fox News confirmed that. Fox News says that, and then the fact that he lied to us about COVID. He said that publicly he was telling us it's a little worse than a cold. It's not as bad as the flu. And privately he's telling Woodward that it's significantly worse than the flu, that it's five times more deadly. He, I, I don't know, man. Herman Cain is dead because yeah, of a... You know, Joe, let, let me, let me dwell on, on the last one uh, first. Let, let, let's, let's take these in reverse order, if you will. So on the last one, you know, it, it, this is why yesterday I said that the president could have done things differently and could have done things better. I, and I understand he didn't want to spark a panic uh, and he doesn't have any capacity to nuance. And I don't think he should have been telling people that it was no worse than the cold publicly when privately he knew it was that bad. There were ways for him to avoid a panic without doing it that way. Uh, and you're, you're right. He, it allowed conspiracy theorists to to crop up uh, and say, look, I mean, it's it's just a cold or just the flu when, when it's not. Uh, there were ways for him to do it. I understand what he was trying to do. I just I don't agree with the way he did it uh, on his Boy. sister. The man, yeah, the, you know, that hasn't gotten a lot of traction. And, and one of the funny things that always benefits the president at these times is the rush of information at the same time from multiple sources. No one can keep up anymore. Now the Woodward stuff is dominating. Uh, but yeah. I, I also do say, man, what is it about this family that the the niece decides she's going to undercover record the conversations with other members of the family and throw them all under the bus is is crazy to me uh and then what what was the what was oh the troops the troops um yeah fox news confirming that trump called troops suckers and losers and in his denial he said he never called mccain a loser he tweeted a video of himself doing that okay do you you know i i got i got a story i was talking to a reporter uh who was at remember it was the iowa conference this is when he was running for president and yeah. he was at the Iowa conference of, of Christian voters and said he had no time for losers. And, and, and Frank Luntz was the one on stage and said, but Mr. President, he was a warrior. The president says, no, he wasn't. He got captured. Uh, heroes right. don't get captured. And, and uh, the, so a buddy of mine who's a journalist started quoting what Trump had just said on stage. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And, and the reporter says, Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump, let me read back to you your precise words. And, and tr- I, I never said that, and it doesn't matter anyway. And <laughs> the reporter says, uh, Mr. Trump, are you familiar with what actually led people to call John McCain a war hero? And Trump's response was, doesn't matter. Uh, and, and he yeah. got up and ended the interview. Listen, I, there are a lot of people who are going to have problems uh with those things and I, i'm not gonna pretend they didn't happen i will say this on the troop one uh i i know enough people who work with the president and i know enough people in the military who've interacted with, with the president that they don't deny that the president said remarks like that but every single one of them says their their suspicion strong suspicious the president wasn't talking about dead soldiers uh he was talking about the various uh generals and bureaucratic uh officials at the pentagon uh, that he has routinely assailed those people. Now you can say it do- doesn't matter or not, but just so just for proper matter. context here, um, no, there are a lot of people who work context. with him. What's that? That's not the proper context. Well, that's, I mean, it, I'm it's just not, I'm, he's not only talking about the brass. 
Well, I'm just I'm trying to put in Fox perspective what, what some of these. I, well, I know Fox has said that. That's yes. not true. I, I well, you know, I, I got to tell you. So Jennifer Griffins, who's a respected reporter, did say it uh, and reported it, and, and then Fox also contradicted her. I, now, look, I, I'm not trying to tell you that that it didn't happen. Uh, it did. I'm just I I do want you to know that it, pretty much everyone I've talked to has has put it into that context. Now, look. Well, I, I would like to have a longer conversation with you, Joe, but they're telling me I got 20 I, seconds, so I got to let you go. Uh, but I'll, I, Joe, hang around listening so we can talk about this a little further uh, when we get back because I, I don't want to dismiss your point here. Um, but let's see if we can drag this out a little bit. You, we'll just make everybody mad, Joe. Why not? Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877 877- Nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. This is the scene of the White House lawn uh, a little while ago. Well, if I can, <laughs> took the audio out of cue and now got to put it back in cue. That's on me. Here we go. They had a moment of silence at the White House uh, as taps played in in memory of the victims of 9-11. They paused at 8.46 a.m. They will pause at each of the moments of the plane strikes. Um, And I want to spend a little more time on that subject uh, later in the program. I I started the show with it. I I have a hard time uh, on, uh, on September 11th trying to strike the right balance because uh, my tendency would be to, to forget the news of the day and just just dwell and be mopey for three hours. Uh, but there's news that goes on. And if you weren't here in the last hour, the end of the hour, I hope he's still listening. Joe called from Monticello and, and he's got a has a hard time with with the audio that has uh, come out. The president with Bob Woodward, uh, the Jennifer Griffiths, Fox News confirmed report of the president calling the soldiers losers and the, the Mary Trump stuff with her with her aunt uh i i will move beyond the the mary trump stuff with her aunt and i have a a reason for doing that you probably want to dwell on it yourself but i have a i I, i'm abhorred to spend any time uh focusing on the story of a a relative recording someone else in their family for the purpose of uh causing their own family uh harm and I just I, I find it disgusting that Mary Trump would do that. She's hates her uncle enough to want to do that. Uh, and I just I refuse to give the story attention. Uh, other people have given it attention. Uh, and I, I think the president supporters don't wrestle enough with what was said. But I just I, I refuse to engage that story. Uh, the other two, the, the Bob Woodward one, uh, people are going to have problems with this one, and the media knows it, which is why they're playing it up. The president was telling people that this really wasn't a big deal. It was going to go away, uh, no worse than the cold or the flu, and privately knew it was five times worse than the flu and was telling Bob Woodward that, and it turns out actually to be about 10 times worse than the flu. And uh, my sense is to give the president some level of grace on this one, and if you hate him, you're not going to, and you'll be mad at me for wanting to. But he was trying to avoid a pandemic. Uh, the, the man is is not the most articulate or nuanced. And in his mind, I, I really do take him at his word that he was trying to spark a panic or trying to avoid uh, launching a panic. The, the troubling one is the one about the troops. 
calling them them losers and, and whatnot. And I don't know that the president's hardcore supporters uh, wrestle with this one enough. Now, I will tell you that those who are close to the president say that he he has referred in that capacity to soldiers and sailors, but he was referring to the Pentagon brass uh, and the bureaucrats who he thinks uh, are too academic and, and were loyal to Obama and not to individual troops. Now, Joe called and, and said that's, that's not what Jennifer Griffiths reported, and he's right. Uh, Jennifer Griffiths reported that the president uh, has made disparaging comments about dead soldiers and the like. It comes on the heels of the Jeffrey Goldberg story, of the president uh, doing this. I will say that uh, we now know for certain there are passages of Goldberg's reporting that are flat out wrong. Uh, Even John Bolton, who does not like the president, uh, has come out and said that his opening about the the incident in Paris was wrong. John Bolton was there. He was in the room. 17 different people have come forward and said this stuff is not true. Uh, If you hate the president, you won't believe those people. You'll believe the anonymous sources. If you like the president, you won't believe the anonymous sources. You'll believe the 17 people on the record. I suspect the truth is somewhere in the middle. But let's just be really honest here. The president is, as so many people have always said he was, uh, his behavior, his attitudes, his way of thinking and doing business are baked into the game. And the question at this point for a lot of people is, do you prefer that to Joe Biden? And for a lot of people, you do. And the problem that I have ultimately is the people who say that if you do support the president over a guy like Joe Biden, you are a racist, a bigot, you're bad, uh, you're disgusting. Let, Let me tell you something. Actually, you know what? Let me read you something. Let me find this real quick. I wasn't going to go in this direction, but after Joe's call, I think so. And, and you know, Joe is deeply bothered by it. I don't know whether Joe is a, a conservative or, or a liberal or a moderate or or super political or not. Um, but I, I, I do think you can deserve to be bothered by these actions. Uh, and, and you can still say, but you know what, uh, policy position-wise, uh, am I going to go with him or Trump or him or Biden? Let, let, me, let me read you um, – Something that this, I started to read this the other day, this mom blogger. This mom blogger who writes stuff and uh, she's upset because Trump supporters are attacking her because she she basically said she wishes ill will on Trump supporters. She says, it, it, I don't create content for Trump supporters. She says, it makes me sick to my stomach that you, a Trump supporter, ever read or watch or listen to anything I've created. It is true even if I know you in real life. I see what you're trying to do. You want me to treat you like a decent human being, but you're not behaving like a decent human being. A decent person doesn't align themselves with people who are proudly racist and who insist America doesn't have a racism problem. A decent person doesn't align themselves with people who believe viral right-wing stories on Facebook over trained journalists who think Q is real, who think the pandemic is fake who think the earth is flat. A decent person doesn't align themselves with people who weep and faint over celebrity child trafficking rings that don't exist or support the ICE family separations at the border that actually lead to child trafficking. A decent person knows what it feels like to do a job and not get paid and recognizes Trump as first and foremost a con man liar in chief, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Basically, um, then she writes uh, that she thinks that um, I want decent even event hosts to send you a card explaining you're not invited because you're a a Trump supporter. I wish stores like Ikea and Target 
wouldn't let you buy their products. I wish your internet provider would cut you off as a customer. I want to see you shunned by every person and organization that doesn't support Trump. No more access to their books, movies, products, music, events, artists, and influencers till you are left with nothing but smash mouth concerts and Ben Shapiro talking about a sex life. Some of you will tell me you have no choice, that you're a single issue voter and that your single issue is abortion. So you can only vote for an anti-abortion candidate. And I will respond, the Republicans are making a fool of you. We all know Republicans talk big about being anti-abortion, but their policies don't reduce abortions. Blah, 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 blah. On it goes. Uh, Visceral contempt for people on the other side. I bring this up uh, because... I don't know where Joe stands on these issues. I'm, I I don't know if he's still listening. I, 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 I don't really care where he stands on these issues. Uh, my point is that there are people who have given into hating those who would support the president, uh, which frankly reinforces the need for people to support the president uh, and win again to break the people who can't stand the president. And if you don't understand that phenomenon, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's a very real phenomenon and one increasingly that I'm drawn to when I see people who think that if you support the president, you are de facto a racist or a bigot. Uh, I, I frankly want the president to win uh, just to rub your nose in the fact that no people who support the president are not racist and bigots. They care about the country just like you, but they just happen to care about it in decent ways. They, they don't dismiss racism and, and the problems of race in this country. They just want to go about dealing with it in a different direction than you. They don't particularly care for the fact that there are white supremacists who feel emboldened by the president, uh, but they also don't like the fact that Antifa feels emboldened by uh, Joe Biden, and between the white supremacists and Antifa, only one of them is burning down America. I don't care whether you like the president or not. I don't particularly care for the man, but I will vote for him because I think the policies as a country that we will get from Donald Trump are better than the policies that we would get from Joe Biden. And if you think that uh, a victory for Donald Trump emboldens all of the wrong people, well, you know what? It does embolden some bad people. But a victory for Joe Biden would also embolden very bad people, and you yourself don't acknowledge that. You hate Donald Trump for putting kids in cages, but you know what? who put them in those cages first and built the cages? Barack Obama. But you can't intellectually, at an honest level, acknowledge that fact. When you decide, and let me let me read you let, let me read you this. This is this mom blogger. I create content and community for decent people. Will do we agree on everything? No. We may debate the best way to educate kids or disagree on baby names, favorite books, or suburban versus urban versus country living. But I will not make space for you to debate the merits of white supremacy. You want respect, but your behavior and beliefs are not worthy of respect. You don't want to be shamed or mocked for supporting Trump, but you align yourself with people who want to make liberal snowflakes cry and who mock anyone who wears a pandemic mask. Do you think I care about losing you as a follower? I do not, not one bit. I will actively block you on Instagram if I know you're a Trump supporter. You unfollowing me doesn't hurt me in any way. I literally, in the true sense of the word, won't notice you're gone. You know, there are a lot of people who internalized uh, hatred of the United States and they learned how to fly planes and flew them into buildings on this day 19 years ago. 
declaring jihad against the United States. You've got left-wing activists declaring jihad against Trump supporters. They're not killing them. They're not flying planes into their buildings. They're not blowing them up. Uh, what they're doing is is calling for corporations to punish them, calling for employers to fire them, calling for their way of life to be ruined, calling for their means to be destroyed. Uh, The level of internalized hate from the left towards Trump supporters, uh, I I cannot recall a time during the Obama administration where people on the right as a whole were aggressively pushing for the elimination of jobs and status for people who supported Barack Obama. And the people on the left hold Donald Trump up as some some paragon of evil in this country in the same way that the jihadists held up the United States as a paragon of evil and decided it needed to be destroyed. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of difference between the militant left who hate on people who disagree with them uh, than the jihadists. Uh, the, 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 the difference, the, the fine line of different disagreement is over death or just destruction. You can destroy someone without killing them. And right now, a lot of the left in this country is hell-bent on destroying people who they disagree with politically, who can't understand why someone would vote for the president of the United States over someone like Joe Biden uh, when they see Antifa burning down parts of this country. There is a, a great deal that I don't like about this president. I didn't support him in 2016, and I'm voting for him in 2020 because I think people like that probably need to be kept away from power for four more years to reflect on the fact that they can't see in America with people who disagree with them. They, they don't want to live in a country with people like me anymore. And so they probably do need to be kept away from power. And I don't know that, that my side will be successful in doing that, and we'll see what happens. The polling right now that the, the early voting numbers for Republicans have the Republicans super freaked out right now, and it should. Uh, the president of the United States, frankly, is a bit of a moron when it comes to this stuff and has been downplaying absentee balloting and early balloting so much. The Democrats now have a three to one advantage in North Carolina in early voting. Uh, they've got a five to one advantage in Pennsylvania. States the president needs to win. The president's core supporters, by the way, feel very much about the left the same way the left feels about uh, them, and that is wrong too. But man, the divisions of this country, everybody today putting up hashtag never forget, we have forgotten so much about 19 years ago uh, when we realized that there actually are people around the world who want us all dead. They don't care whether you're supporting Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Mike Pence, George Bush, or anyone else. They just want you dead because you're an American. And man, there are a whole lot of people today who who just want to want to go after the other side. Um, we've got a bunch of jihadists in this country. Uh, they, they don't kill anyone. They just show up at their businesses or their homes to harass them, uh, scare them. They're burning down businesses in this country. Uh, and so many of them are on the left. And again, I think this is worth noting. White supremacy, bad. Racism, bad. Donald Trump did embolden some of these people. Intentionally or not, he did embolden some of these people. Uh, but I don't see them burning down America right now. That doesn't justify them. They should be condemned as well. Uh, but I am willing to condemn those people. And I find very few people on the left willing to condemn the, the activist left right now uh, showing up at people homes to harass them. In fact, I find Democratic members of Congress who are encouraging people to show up at people's houses or go into restaurants and shout down and heckle people. I I find uh, left-wing activists getting praised online for saying that uh, stores should harass you, stores should throw you out. Anyone who finds out you're a Trump voter should shun you. We've met the new jihadists. They're on the American left these days. I, I can condemn white supremacists, and these left-wing activists. 
But there are very few people on the left willing to ever recognize that what people on their own side are doing right now is bad. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour is brought to you by Dynamic Money. Uh, financial planners, extraordinary. If you need help managing your money, learning how to budget, teaching your kids to budget, uh, asking questions about your 401k, prioritizing your 401k, all of that sort of stuff, they do it. Uh, they don't do it on commission. They do it for a fee. They're not trying to sell you something. They're trying to give you good advice. Uh, dynamicmoney.com is their website. Couldn't do the program without them. Great way to support me is to go to them. If you got questions, use the, I'm actually a customer of theirs. I really actually am a customer of theirs. Uh, and, and they help me. They're, they're teaching me how to be a better, better budgeter. They also handle part of my 401k. Uh, dynamicmoney.com is the website. Let's go to the phones. Melvin, you're going to be next. How are you, sir? Good to hear from you. Good morning, Patriot. Um, I was listening to you as far as as, as far as uh, regarding President Trump and um, his conversation with Woodward. And I have to go backwards, uh, regress to progress. First, FDR didn't uh, panic people. Second, Sir Winston Churchill, when he knew um, that England was in dire straits as they fought the Axis powers, he did his best to be a cheerleader for the people. President Trump has mentioned constantly that he is a cheerleader. Um, I think the reason we have progressed so far under his uh, administration is he has been a cheerleader. He hasn't kept people down as Obama did whenever he stated kind of like, you know, we've reached our high point, so now we're going to go less. We're going to lose manufacturing. We'll never regain that. So it's better having a cheerleader than um, a proponent of doom and gloom. And um, that's the first thing. The second thing is 9-11. I have to go back to what Omar stated, and this is what's in the Socialist Democratic Party. Uh, Something happened. You know, well, something did happen. And we should never forget that. We should never forget our history and where we were on that very day, Um, not only for that, but for anything else. And then third, and I'll sum it up, that this election is, I can say, the most important in our history because we have a choice between a republic or a mixture of communism, Marxism, and socialism with what we've got in the, as I call them, for they are, they're socialist Democrats. So I put it there, I leave it there, and um, go back to your programming. And <laughs> once again, have a great day, Patriot. You too. Mel- Melvin, look, I appreciate the phone call very much. Uh, I, I, You know, let me, let, me, let me say one thing, echoing what Melvin just said. I used to tell people all the time that it was just it, this was the last election to save the country. You, you, you need to vote for the Republican, and I, I stopped doing that. The reason I stopped doing that is because the Republicans kept moving the goalpost on me, and I realized they weren't really serious, and, and I should stop believing them. Um, they said if you gave them back the House, they'd repeal Obamacare. They never put up a fight. you got to give them the Senate. So you gave them the House and the Senate. They said they'd repeal Obamacare, and they didn't. They moved the goalpost. They said you gotta, you you got you to gotta move it. you got to have the White House too. So they got the White House. They got the Senate. They got the House, and they still didn't repeal it. Uh, and, and so let, let's not say we don't have socialism in this country because we do, uh, the degree to which we have it though, varies by which party is in power. And, uh, it, nowadays, and it, they do most everything by executive order. So whatever Do- Barack Obama did by and large after Obamacare has been undone by Donald Trump with a stroke of a pen. And whatever Donald Trump has done will be undone by Joe Biden with a stroke of a pen. If Biden gets elected, whatever Joe Biden does will be undone with a stroke of a pen with whoever gets elected after him. And that this teetering back and forth in a, in a nation almost perfectly 50-50 divided, uh, what is happening at the periphery, though, is you've got a group of people who want to destroy the people who disagree with them politically. 
And I, I, you know, I, it, it infuriates me that I can be honest about bad actors on my own side. And so can you, I know very few conservatives who, who actually support these alt-right and, uh, white, white supremacy, white nationalist guys. I know very few who deny that racism is a problem in this country. The media would have you believe that no one on the right does, and the left would have you believe no one on the right does. I know very few people on the left who are willing to condemn uh, the, these ongoing nonstop protests everywhere. They, they actually think it's justified. Uh, I, 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 it seems like I'm willing to be intellectually honest on these things, and very few people on the left are. They just want to shut me up and shut you up and and come after us and, and, and keep us out of power and, and make sure we never have power. And I got a real problem with that. And if anything, that's what drives me to vote for the president. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I am interested in those of you who are listening right now, if you want to call and talk about where you were on 9-11, 19 years ago now. Uh, I I don't know that people under the age of 30 can appreciate the sacrifices made. Um, I, 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 I don't, think that people I, I I don't know that I can appreciate coming to term well to a degree I can and I'll, I'll discuss uh, I don't I don't know that people can can appreciate coming to terms with the fact that you're probably gonna die uh, and and then to realize you are going to die and so it makes you think of of flight 93 and and it been co-opted by the politics of people in flight 93 elections and all that sort of stuff. Um, we seem perpetually now on both sides to decide that we're in the flight 93 election where we must wrest back control from the other side or else. And that's no healthy way to sustain a Republic. But I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't know that people under 30 in particular can understand what it was like by the time the hijacking on flight 93 occurred, the other three planes had already hit the buildings. They knew they were going to die. They knew there was no way off the plane. They knew it. I mean, it wasn't up for debate. And the last words heard on that plane were let's roll by, by what Todd Berman who organized the other passengers and they stormed the cockpit and and fought for control of the plane and willfully and intentionally crashed it in a field in Pennsylvania because they knew they were on their way. And intelligence now these days um, says that they believe it was actually probably headed towards Camp David um, and possibly to Washington, D.C. They knew they were going to die. They just chose how they were going to do it. And, man, that's a lesson that all of us should take, um, choosing choosing your own fate. Um, just just Todd Beamer. Yeah, thank you, Philip. It, it's, it's just, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, I really do think these days that we, we say never forgetting, yet we forgot. We say it'll never happen again, and, and uh, we, we've turned on each other. 
Uh, I think of the friends I know who saw that that day who uh, packed up and went and enlisted. Do you know the number of people who did that? It's striking the number of people, men and women, who saw what was happening and decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to go join the army or the Marines or the Navy, and and they did. Many of them then dying in Afghanistan and Iraq, and and I wonder now why 19 years later we're still there. Um, where were you? 404, uh, wrong number, 877-973-7425. Greg and Marietta, going to go to you. Welcome. Greg, you there? Uh, well, hang on, Greg. Okay, there you go. Sorry, the button didn't click. Sorry about that, Eric. Um, That's right. little, hopefully, you can hear me. Hopefully, connection's not too bad. Oh, yeah. No, it's perfect. Good. Um, I work in Wall Street. And I had one of the most surreal experiences. My office is in Atlanta. I'm still with the same firm. Um, Back in those days, we had a squawk box where we would hear commentary on what was going on in the market that day. And we had a trading desk. And we watched the planes hit. And everybody in the office ran to watch the TVs over the trading desk. And the world stopped. Literally stopped. Our industry froze. We had crisis meetings that morning. We were prepared for a market crash. We were prepared to talk to clients to do anything. And everything froze. No one called. It was the slowest week of work ever. Partly because the stock market closed that week and our traders couldn't trade. Mm -hmm. But... It was instantly a inward turn toward family and friends. And, and I will never forget, I've been on social media with friends this morning that are reminiscing and making a vow to tell our children and grandchildren what September 11th was like and what September 12th was like. Yeah. Um, because I have coworkers who lost friends that day in New York. Uh, who have, who I know people who have worked in the towers and worked in the financial mm-hmm. district. Uh, it is for my parents remembered Kennedy. Some people remember Reagan being shot. This is that times a hundred. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's funny. My my very very first like memory of news was when I I guess I was in in kindergarten maybe. And, and Reagan had been shot and I came home from school and everybody was staring at the TV. Uh, and, and, but, and I just, I remember, like, I, I don't remember it. I remember that I remember it kind of, if that makes sense, but yeah, this, um, I, so I was, I, so my, my buddy Philip who works with me, I was over at his place last night. We, we were actually having a normal, a almost normal night. We were sitting on the back porch watching a football game and um and having a glass of bourbon and cigars and and i smoked wings and it seemed like normal and and his brother andy was talking about how smells connect you to to memories when you're a kid um you you smell something and and it just immediately takes you back in time to where you were and i I, it's like you and i we may have memories in, in life and we kind of remember vaguely details about stuff or we smell something that connects us but man i remember 9 11. uh i i remember that day and for those of us who who stood there and watched TVs, gosh, there's just no escaping that day. Uh, I, I can't even I can't tell you about September 10th, but I can tell you about the 11th. I was young uh, in my 
my 30s and working with people who were older, who I highly respected, who some who had served in the military and the seriousness which which they instantly took that day, especially those who had served in the military. Yeah. The 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 seriousness cannot be underscored with how much they their the look in their eyes I will never forget. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it was it was something. Uh, look, Greg, I appreciate you sharing. Thank you very much for that. Eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Congressman Ken Buck was going to join me. I'm not sure that they may be having votes for him, him traveling or some such. Uh, I was going to ask him where he was that day. You know, his son wound up joining the military and and going abroad. A lot of people did. The, the vice president's son as well joined the Marines, and it so many lives changed by that. And, and, you know, I guess this is my frustration 19 years in looking at the way the political landscape in the country is shaping up, how divided we really are as a people. I mean, I I can't tell, I I feel caught in the middle so much these days. I was actually talking to a, a, a friend of mine, you would all know him, a far more famous conservative radio show host than me. Um, and just talking about how, you know, he is very much more dogmatic in, in support of the president. Uh, and, and even he just behind the scenes is just, just kind of shocked by how, uh, we as a nation used to be able to agree to disagree. And, uh, if you disagree at this point, you're the enemy. Um, meanwhile, we've got actual real enemies circling the world circling the country. You know, there was a report out yesterday that the Chinese and the Iranians have continued to try to hack. Uh, The Russians have tried to hack into both the Biden and the Trump campaign for information. Uh, And we got all sorts of people out there uh, circling us, um, putting our lives in jeopardy, threatening us as a nation. And, And meanwhile, we're screaming at each other in the streets. We've got rioters um, rioting across the country. And, and I, I don't know the answer to this. I, I actually really don't know the answer to this. Are, are the rioting, is the rioting continuing or has it calmed down? Cause there, there isn't as much coverage even on Fox of what's going on out there. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I will tell you this and I find this, this fascinating. So do you know who killer Mike is? There, there's a Georgia angle to all of this killer Mike uh, it was a um, hip-hop artist. He had been in a gang. His real name is Michael Rinder. And Killer Mike and Brian Kemp met in the governor's office. And people are enraged that they would meet. Let me read you part of this uh, from the AJC. Killer Mike, a native of Southwest Atlanta, has been a visible vocal proponent of progressive politics, black businesses, and investing in skilled workers throughout the last couple of presidential campaigns. On Wednesday, he met with Kemp, a Republican, and discussed myriad issues affecting Georgians. Kemp's office posted a photo of the artist, whose real name is Mike Rinder, with the governor and his wife, Marty. For some, it was a display of the Adidas rapper, forging a bridge with a leader of opposing political views. For others, the meeting was panned as a photo opportunity and bad judgment on the rapper turned activist part. The meeting, many opine, meant that Killer Mike could advocate for his community. 
On the other side, uh, some users pointed to allegations against Kemp suppressing the vote against Stacey Abrams and thought that uh, Killer Mike was betraying them. As Killer Mike has increasingly been heralded as a voice for progressives, criticism of his public statements on politics in the black community have been scrutinized. In May, he spoke alongside Keisha Lance Bottom about the, the ails of violent protests about the death of George Floyd. He said, I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that this is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It's your duty to fortify your own house so that you may have a house of refuge in times of organization. Um, and it's just, it, it's it's striking to me that uh, he's getting hate for daring to meet with Brian Kemp. And, you know, part of this is if if I'm, I, I try not to, to go there too much. But let me just say that that a lot of this is is there is a theology shaping up uh, on the left in, in the absence of organized religion. Uh, they're still organizing, but it's to protest. And part of that comes out in the form of uh, heretics and sinners and saints. So you have a uh, you, you've got a, a black rapper named Killer Mike who meets with Brian Kemp, the governor of the state of Georgia, who beats Stacey Abrams and Killer Mike, whose credentials and positions are not doubted by anyone is being assailed by people who would otherwise support him because he dared to reach across the aisle. Uh, and there is a there's a theology shaping up in this organizing that it's not organized religion, it's organized advocacy. And that advocacy is taking the form of religion. And uh, but, you know, Christians are supposed to be missional and, and go out and make disciples and, and spread the gospel. And uh, with the left and organizing, you're, you're not supposed to because they're heretics. They're they're there's Sinners you're not supposed to meet with. It's very Levitical. They must be outcast, punished, stoned, um, beaten. And that that makes it very hard. You know, C.S. Lewis, I've, I've said this before, C.S. Lewis at Oxford uh, was asked one time what the difference was between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. And without missing a beat, he said, grace. No other religion has a concept of grace. There are religions that have concepts of mercy, and mercy is the idea that you are sparing someone from what they deserve. That is mercy. Christianity is the religion that has grace. If mercy is sparing you from what you deserve, grace is giving you what you don't deserve. And as left leaning politics becomes a religion for people who no longer go to church and protest and organization are sacramental, uh, supporting abortion rights is sacramental. Uh, the, the liturgy of the left involves protest. It is yet another world religion that does not have any grace. So, it is easy for this mom blogger to write a blog post that if you support Donald Trump, you're, you're, you're terrible and you're tied to the worst people who support the president while abdicating from herself the idea that she must then be tied to the worst people on her own side, uh, a belief that there are no bad people on her side in, in some sense. It, it, it's the sinners and the damned, and the damned are all on the other side. And also that uh, in, in so doing, that you should be punished in some way. There's no grace for you for what you support. There, There's no common element of grace in the religion of secular leftism these days. 
And so when a guy like Killer Mike, who who is someone who has a level of faith, is willing to reach out to the other side and at least have a conversation, the people on his own side now feel betrayed by him because the the, the saints cannot mingle with the damn, the, the clean cannot mingle with the unclean. It's very Levitical. They have their own version of, of, of laws of cleanliness, and you can't mingle with the other side. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. There really isn't. Ecclesiastes is right. that There really is nothing new under the sun. And it, it, there's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone worships something. Everyone has a God. Uh, where do you put your money? If Do you spend your money mostly on yourself? Well, then you're probably worshiping yourself. Uh, do you put it to a particular cause? You've probably made an idol of that cause. There, there's no such thing as an atheist. You may not believe in the God of all creation, but you worship something. You worship someone. Our minds are perpetual factories of idols. And it's just remarkable that uh, we are in a situation like this where you have people on the left now saying that people on the right need to be actively punished for supporting Donald Trump. And someone on the left who dares to meet with a Republican uh, can be condemned. And, And all of this around this time where every year we say never forget and how much we have forgotten, uh, we forget that politics in this country should just be political and that there should be a great greater sphere of things in our lives that are not political that we dwell on most. And so many people now dwell on politics the most, and it pollutes our minds, our interactions, our behaviors, our, our neighborliness, our love for each other. It, it is corrupting when you treat politics as your religion. It's not supposed to be. And we wind up with a bunch of jihadists in this country who who they won't kill the other side, but they sure are out to destroy them. Uh, 19 years ago, we saw real evil, and I assure you, they didn't look like my neighbor who happens to support the other political party. Hello there. I, I So I want to speak for just a moment about the, the football game last night. The Chiefs and the Texans played, and at the beginning, uh, the media is attacking. The, the media is attacking the fans for booing the moment of unity, all, all the players together. Um, but what they miss uh, is they're condemning the, pl- the the fans, all those nasty Trump supporters in Kansas or Missouri, um, and um, the, the, all the, the Texans who came up, they're just all a bunch of bigots for booing that moment of unity. Actually, uh, you know, Jason Whitlock actually has a great piece on this uh, at outkick.com that is, some of the 17,000 Kansas City Chiefs fans allowed to attend the NFL season opening Texas Chiefs clash booed during the pregame moment of unity because the moment was umbrellaed by the Black Lives Matter slogan scrolling across the jumbotrons. Mystery solved. Chief fans aren't stupid. They're informed, passionate, and fearless. They love their players, but they love their country more and the foolish players who have swallowed Black Lives Matter's ideology, propaganda, and vision for America. Social media and the athletes addicted to Twitter and Instagram define Black Lives Matter as a long-overdue fight for racial equality. Many Americans see BLM for exactly what it is, a clever disguise for Marxists and anarchists who seek to destroy American freedoms. And those citizens are growing more comfortable expressing their disdain for the Black Lives Matter's movement. The booing you heard rejected BLM, not unity. 
The booing you heard rejected the rioting, violence, looting, and in-your-face harassment associated with the BLM movement. Oh, that's right. BLM protests have been mostly peaceful. Studies have shown that 93% of BLM protests have been mostly peaceful. You know what? Most of the time in the 50s and 60s, segregationists did not respond with loosed water hoses, batons, and dogs at civil rights protests. Bull Connor, the racist commissioner of public safety for the city of Birmingham in the 1960, was mostly peaceful. Members of the KKK didn't lynch, beat, and harass the overwhelmingly overwhelming majority of black men and women they encountered the kkk was mostly peaceful studies revealed 95 percent of clan rallies were peaceful you follow my sarcastic point we've seen enough violence looting and abuse at black lives matters protests to conclude black lives matters isn't peaceful or unifying that's jason whitlock who's black by the way uh and and he's he's not wrong but i have to say it was nice to hang out with friends, have some drinks and smoke cigars, eat some wings, and watch a football game. And hear the fans in the stadium. It was almost normal. People want normal. That's why I think Joe Biden continues to have a latent advantage in the election. Because you may just like his policies, I do, but he comes across as normal. And I think that gives him an edge. We'll see. Not voting for him, but I want to be honest with you is how I see it shaping up. And, and I think the Trump team needs to pay attention to that fact. People want calm and normalcy. But it was nice last night to hang out. I smoked wings for the first time, by the way. I, I smoked wings, and, and they were glorious. I've never smoked wings before. Um, I read a bunch of recipes and a bunch of how-tos and, and used my rec tech, and, and my goodness gracious, they were good wings. I liked them. Uh, everybody liked them. They were gone quick. I didn't know you couldn't buy individual wings. We'll discuss this. We'll discuss wings when we come back, among other things. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you want to be a part of the show. Uh, sports is resumed. There was football last night. I, I watched the game. I, I smoked wings on my rec tech. Uh, it's my, my pellet grill. You can get them out of Augusta. It's, it's actually, if you're, we're all in Georgia. Uh, rec tech is over in Augusta. It gets hotter than a Traeger. It's better built, better quality than a Traeger. Uh, and, uh, they got better pellets too. And so I smoked, I never done it before, read about five or six recipes, five of them, I think, uh, consulted some of my, my recipe books. And, and here's the thing I learned, you know, if you smoke chicken, the, the, the skin can get kind of rubbery, chewy. So what you do is you got to get it up to a hot temperature, but dry the wings and then take two tablespoons of baking powder, not baking soda, baking powder. Mix them with the rub of your choice or just some salt and uh, make sure you cover all the wings in it uh, just a little bit. And the baking powder dries out the skin so that it doesn't get rubbery chewy in the smoker. Uh, you can also use cornstarch, but baking powder works better and also helps brown uh, the brown the skin. Uh, and I did that last night. I had never made them before. So I smoked them for 30 minutes at 350 and then about 40 minutes at 400 degrees. Uh, and I had several friends tell me if you if you do that, get them up to 185 degrees 
and uh, they they get even more tender than at 175. They're less chewy. And sure enough, they were fantastic. And I'm not a big wing eater. It is it is too much work to eat a little bitty chicken wing uh, for that little meat. Uh, I would rather just get a, like a chicken leg. Uh, but that's all right. It, it turned out perfectly. Uh, I am I. It, it really turned out great. And they were devoured. And we watched a football game. Uh, had a glass of bourbon. Had a few beers. Smoked cigars. Hung out all night. Uh, and it was just, it was nice. It was a sense of normalcy and there are so few senses of normalcy then, but you had to wade through the black lives matter stuff. And, you know, if you weren't here in the last hour, Jason Whitlock of outkick, uh, the coverage was talking about he's black and, and uh, pointing out that black lives matters, the organization has become so divisive and these protests for black lives matters have become so extreme that of course the crowd was going to boo. And these corporate types don't recognize, you know, Delta airlines, is flying a Black Lives Matter flag at its corporate headquarters and is now encouraging the staff, not just allowing, but encouraging the staff to wear the BLM logo uh, as corporate America virtue signals. And, you know, that's the thing here is that it is virtue signaling. They're, they're not actually doing anything to change anything. And it's a little bit offensive to have these billionaire players lecturing the rest of us on how racist the United States is. There are problems in this country. Racism is real. It is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, but embracing a Marxist ideology of the Black Lives Matters organization isn't the way to do it. Uh, related to that, let me go to the phones. Uh, Dana in Warner Robins, thanks for being patient. Welcome. Hey, no problem. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, and uh, I'll first off admit I am mostly a college football fan. I'm going to say go Bears uh, for my Mercer Bears and, of course, the dogs. But I walked away from the NFL years ago when they first went on strike in 87 and, and 09. And part of that is because my wife is a teacher and you were just talking about, you know, the billionaire uh, professionals and, you know, holding themselves up as, you know, some sort of an example or whatever. When people like teachers and first responders don't get that same kind of respect. But for me, the capper in particularly this season, is the idea of somebody like Drew Brees or whoever. Yes, he had his uh, moment of, you know, a little while ago when he apparently was going to stand up for the flag and then decided not to. But if he's going to wear the name... If he's going to wear the name of of an accused rapist on his helmet, I'm absolutely, completely finished with the NFL forever. You are not alone in that regard. And, you know, so I had my my buddy Dave Briggs uh, used to be on Fox and Friends and CNN was here yesterday talking about these these teams can't help themselves but drag stuff in, uh, politics into it, social justice stuff, and they don't understand how divisive it's become and it's turning off their fan base because the majority of their fan base doesn't even care for it. The, the basketball ratings are down 20%. Baseball ratings, I think, honestly have to do with with you can't even have fans in the crowd. It's boring people to, to watch them play without fan noise. But, yeah, it's, it's so in your face these days. I'm, I'm well, really kind of And consider the, the idea if... If somebody were to decide they were going to wear the name of Canon Hennant on their on their helmet, you know, uh-huh. what would the response be then? Well, and uh, look, we know from the list of acceptable slogans like "Blue Lives Matters," you're not allowed to do that. Um, you can say "Black Lives Matters." You, you can't take positions except the the social justice warrior approved positions, and some people disagree. And, and you know, it, let me focus on on Drew Brees. And listen, thanks very much for the phone call. Let me focus on Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a guy who said he can't fathom not standing for the flag. He he, he refuses to take a knee. 
and he had to apologize. Drew Brees had to apologize for saying he wasn't going to take a knee to the American flag. There is a level of, uh, listen, and, and you can say what you want about Colin Kaepernick, but when Colin Kaepernick originated his protest, he gave multiple answers, and, and before he got to police brutality, it was about this country. By the way, it's remarkable to me that every year as football season starts, there's still the, uh, why aren't they going to put Colin Kaepernick back in? They excoriated the NFL for ever taking a chance on Tim Tebow because that dude was a Jesus freak, but by God, Colin Kaepernick, you, you got to put him on a team. Maybe he's not that good. We just can't escape the politicization of everything. And, and that's the problem here. And that gets to, to what Dave Briggs was talking about yesterday. The, the, the politicization of all of it. You, there's no escape. Some people, most people, most Americans actually don't want to dwell on this all the time. I know kids who were put off going to church. Because it was all church all the time. It was all Jesus all the time. Their, their, their families were, were so into it. Their parents were so into it that they just, they couldn't, they, they, they got tired of it. They were perfectly fine to love Jesus, but they just, they got tired of it all in your face. And, and oh no, you, you can't have fun on Sunday. You all, all you could do is go to church. And, and they were raised that way. And they just said, forget this when they got older. And they walked away, not necessarily from faith, but but from organized religion in particular, because their parents couldn't nuance it. And it's very much the same way with, with this sort of stuff. You can say racism is bad. You can say this country does have issues we need to deal with. You can say all of those things, but must we also deal with it in the football game? Are we not allowed to, to have a break from it at all? The corporate virtue signaling. By the way, let, let, let's focus on Delta for a minute. So Delta is okay with uh, the, the corporate virtue signaling. They're ho hoisting the Black Lives Matter flag. They're encouraging everybody to wear the pins to, to take up the cause. What is Delta doing? Is the CEO giving up any of his money? Is the CEO going to leave his job is the, the CEO going to let a black man be the CEO of the company? Are they going to prioritize the hiring of black pilots? Black flight attendants? What are they going to do other than hoist a flag and, and virtue signal? And, and, and that honestly is the thing that frustrates me the most these days is everyone's in on the performance. No one really is engaged no one really cares to be engaged. What they care about is is virtue signaling. They care about performing. Uh, they care about the protest, not the actual cause. They want to participate in the protest. They want to participate in the looting and the ransacking and the harassment. But what are they actually doing? They're, they're not actually doing anything to change the country. They're not actually doing anything to fix the country. They're not working to improve the lives of the people in their community. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had a guy call in, Ray called in uh, about a group here in Macon. And I, frankly, I got busy and I failed to follow up with him and I still need to. Uh, scrambled eggs for Jesus. They feed the homeless. They seek the welfare of their community. They're not out there protesting against homelessness. They're actually helping the homeless. 
I still got to, if, if somebody talks to Ray, tell him, I'm sorry. I, I really do want to follow up with him. I just, I, I got distracted and busy and forgotten. And I, I want to get my kids plugged in with something like that. I want to get myself plugged in with something like that to, to see, to, to, to help. I mean, if scripture says, seek the welfare of, of your community, it's what we're supposed to do. And a lot of these protesters, you know, a lot of the protesters are coming from out of town. And, and the, the police chiefs of these cities in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, in Portland, Oregon, it, it's a bunch of people coming in from out of town. A bunch of, of uh, white kids who are bored at home on lockdown, not going back to college, who've decided they'll go burn down somebody else's community. Instead of seeking the welfare of their own community. And the virtue signaling from the what what exactly is the NFL going to accomplish by hoisting the Black Lives Matter flag, a communist organization? It is a a Marxist communist organization that calls for dismantling the nuclear household. What exactly is the NFL going to do? They're going to virtue signal. That's all. That's all any of them ever want to do these days. Is, is they will throw some money at, at Black Lives Matters uh, that will use that money for probably nefarious purposes to advance Marxism. And, and essentially what Delta and the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball and all these other corporations are doing is saying, please get me last. That's it. Please get me last. Uh, they, they've got the tiger by the tail and they can't let go. That's it. And maybe they need to rethink. Maybe they need to actually make a difference in their communities. Uh, but I, I have a real hard time being lectured by uh, multimillionaires and billionaires who have benefited by the, the, the greatness of this country telling us how bad our country is. Um, I've just, I've got no time for that these days. It is Eric Erickson here, and you can call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. My buddy James Walner is actually going to join me at the bottom of the hour. You know, the Senate Democrats uh, used that Jim Crow-era legacy of the Senate called the filibuster. That's how they refer to it as the... Um, <laughs> As the uh, as a way to kill a stimulus plan for American small businesses and individuals still hurt by the virus, that they want a, a massive spending bill. The Republican logic is that the economy is improving by every definition. Unemployment is going down. Employment going up. Uh, jobs are coming back. Uh, revenue is up. Spending is up. Uh, so we don't need a massive multi-trillion dollar plan anymore. They were still willing to spend about a trillion dollars and the Democrats decided it wasn't enough. So they filibustered it. And it was very interesting to watch uh, CNN, the Washington Post, the New York Times, Reuters, the Associated Press say that in the very passive voice, uh, Republican uh, stimulus plan failed to advance. Why? Because the Democrats blocked it. Uh, there's actually a... Um, there's actually a story out. Uh, where is it? Let me find it. Oh, yeah. Swing District Democrats. Uh, vulnerable Swing District Democrats are anxious over the stalled COVID talks. Democrats in Republican-leaning districts have been privately pressing Pelosi to take new action on relief, but she's resisting. Moderate House Democrats are growing increasingly alarmed about stalled coronavirus relief negotiations with vulnerable members. 
starting to privately push the speaker and other party leaders to take action to break the stalemate. Those anxieties, particularly among the Democrats in GOP-leaning districts known as frontliners, have spiked as lawmakers watched the standoff drag out in the Senate this week while they were stuck back home in their districts amid the pandemic. The Senate on Thursday failed to advance a so-called skinny Republican coronavirus relief package uh, over Democratic opposition, leaving senators in both parties to declare negotiations likely on ice until after the election. Now House members are preparing to return to Washington next week with little prospect for a bipartisan deal, even as coronavirus cases continue to rise and millions of Americans remain unemployed. The House is scheduled to be in session for just three weeks before leaving until November. And the Democratic leadership says they won't change. They have no use for the Republican plan. They won't compromise. It's all or nothing for them. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, while the president may not be able to spare himself defeat in November, he's done enough to neutralize the Democratic congressional advantage on the generic ballot, uh, which is impressive. Uh, and, and let me be careful. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I do think the advantage is to Joe Biden in the polling. That's not to say the president can't win. Uh, he's got to turn people out. They are behind uh, with their absentee balloting right now and their early balloting. The Republicans do have a better ground game strategy than the Democrats, though. Uh, but it, it just it looks like if the election were today, uh, the, as the as the convention goodwill recedes in the minds of the American public, the Woodward tapes and and the the Atlantic story have an impact with swing voters. He, he may, maybe he wouldn't win, but he has certainly neutralized a Democratic advantage. And it looks like right now the Republicans would still hold the Senate and actually uh, maybe pick up a couple of seats in the House. They, they're probably, no one actually thinks the Republicans are going to take back the House. The question is, do they lose seats, hold seats, or gain seats? And and right now it looks like they could actually gain some seats back while holding on to what they have, uh, which would be remarkable even if the president um didn't advance. So um, there you go. That that's where we stand. Uh, I I want to I want to segue here. Um, gosh, uh, my team probably won't want me to do this, but but I'm going to anyway. Um, and I, I don't have a sponsor read to give you in this segment. Uh, and that is, I I would like to grow the advertisers for this radio program. Uh, we're doing enough right now to to cover the satellite costs, the, the staffing costs and everything else, but I want to grow it. I actually would like to turn this into a profitable business as opposed to a break-even business. Uh, we have just picked up the Brunswick station uh, at WBQO down in the Golden Isles area. Uh, we're now across the entire state. Now, we got a few more stations that will be coming on soon. And uh, if you're interested in you got a business and you want to advertise statewide, uh, a, a great way to do that is on this program because you capture uh, conservative minds and ears across the state of Georgia with this program. And so if you got a business, we would love to partner with you and uh, grow together and reach out to us. Eric, E-R-I-C-K at theresurgent.com is the best email address. You can call us here, uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, the regular call-in number. Um, my, my call screener handles also uh, dealing with the advertisers. But um, we need, I mean, frankly, we need more. This is a this is a business. This isn't a nonprofit. 
and we, we got the money to keep us going. We're, we're not in any any worry of going under. I would just like to actually like earn income from doing three hours of radio in the morning. And right now we're covering the costs. Uh, and and we always want more advertisers. We don't have an advertising sales team. You know, it, one of the most rewarding things about growing this program is uh, Charlie, my producer, and I, uh, we, we started this out with Candace, my assistant, and, and Philip, who runs all the digital stuff for me, uh, working together to grow this, to, to build affiliates, to build ad revenue, to build advertisers for a statewide program. And it has been a lot of fun. It has been very rewarding. It has been very hard. Uh, I, I feel like we sometimes make slow progress, and everybody tells me, you got 15 stations so far, and you've only been on the air for a year? Yeah, well, apparently that's a good metric. I have no idea. I really just want to show up and talk on the radio. And I, this is my dream job. It's a job I never intended to have. And I just fell into it, and it's awesome. Uh, and I love it. But I also would like to have a profitable business. So one day my wife wants to know um, why I'm doing three hours of radio a day making zero. <laughs> uh, so if you're interested in advertising, let us know. Uh, this space uh, could be yours uh, right here for me to tell people about your grand and glorious product and business. So, um, all right, now. Uh, we need to move on to other things, uh, in particular coming up, James Walder is going to join me. He's actually a UGA guy. He, he's a wonky, wonky dude in Washington. Now he's a friend of mine. I can say that and talking about, uh, what is happening with the stimulus plan in Washington. And I don't know if you heard Ben Sass, Ben Sass has written an op-ed on, on how to make the Senate great again. A lot of people taking issue with him over that. Uh, but it's worth considering, and I want to talk to Walner about that too. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you, the seven-day moving average for COVID-19 in Georgia is now at 1,735 cases. And to get anywhere near there, you got to go back to June 21st now. And we continue to head in the right direction, even as schools are open in the state, even as people are, are going back to work, even as professional and, and, and high school and, and college sports are coming back, we are headed in the right direction in the state uh, in terms of the virus. And it's not getting a ton of attention because it's not bad news. And I want to continue to highlight it because it's very good news. And we should be owning the good news right now and recognizing we're headed in the right direction. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So I, I actually have a, a friend of mine coming up uh, from, he is a graduate of the University of Georgia, no less. He's a senior fellow at the R Street Institute, and he is also a lecturer at the Department of Government at American University. Uh, he's a fellow at American University Center for Congressional and Presidential Studies. He was at the Heritage Foundation. He worked for the Senate Steering Committee for Pat Toomey and Mike Lee, served as legislative director to Jeff Sessions. He's authored books uh, on uh, policy and procedure and parliamentary procedure, but he's a dog at heart. He is. He received a bachelor's and doctor's degree from Catholic University in, of America, and he's got a master's in international and European politics from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. That was my way of stalling while, while I got him on the phone. And I look, uh, so James Walder is joining me. And, and Walner, I got to ask you, do, do you have that beard in your profile picture still? I, I, I do have the beard. 
I do have the beard, and it's getting to be a bit uh, out of control, I must say. I think my <laughs> wife is beginning to look at me and ask and ask herself, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I would, too. I, I saw that picture, and I thought, man, I realized I hadn't seen you in a while, but last time you didn't look like Grizzly Adams. And <laughs> So how are you, first of all? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you again. Look, I had a beard in 2013. I called it my shutdown beard, and I vowed that I would not shave it until the shutdown was over and Republicans had defunded Obamacare. And I remember having a conversation with Harry Reid on the floor, and he said, your beard's going to get pretty long because you're not going to win. And it was pretty funny, actually. Um, But I ended up shaving it. For this one, there's there's no real rhyme or reason behind it. I think I just forgot to shave one day, and here we are. Well, there, there you go. All right. Uh, let, let me ask you. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, James is is just a, a master uh, when it comes to, to parliamentary procedure, and, and he knows the Senate. And and we're looking at all this stuff in Washington and, and the supposed dysfunction in the Senate, and they they can't actually get the votes they need to pass the stimulus plan. And, and you were one of the first people who ever really explained to me that, you know, the way the filibusters typically work in Washington these days is, is you don't have the 60 votes and they just abandon the effort where they could actually force everyone to actually do a real filibuster, uh, spend a couple of weeks and they would eventually get to the point. And, and why does it, why don't they do that anymore? Well, I, I don't even think it would take a couple of weeks. I think they could have been out of there by the end of today. have uh, been serious about this. And the reason they don't actually use the rules the way the rules are meant to be used is because I don't think they're interested in legislating on either side. I mean, this is not a knock against uh, Republicans. It's a knock against Republicans and Democrats. Um, It looks like both parties right now would much rather pander to the American people than instead of actually trying to seriously solve their problems. So, I mean, there's got to be a will to actually govern up there, and, and there isn't. And, and it just is this one of the reasons why the presidency increasingly becomes more and more powerful is, is nobody in Congress wants to do anything other than go on TV? Absolutely. And it's because the parties themselves are divided. I mean, you and I both know that the Republican Party has long been more divided than people think, and it's not as conservative as people think. I think the same thing goes for the Democratic Party. And there's a reason why Mitch McConnell didn't take up the uh, the Senate, didn't take up the House passed um, coronavirus bill in May or June or July. And it's because the Republicans didn't agree on it and, and, and they didn't know that they couldn't also change it because they don't know what to do. And so in the process, they do nothing while they try to figure out how to message in ways that show a unified party. But, of course, they still think things need to happen. So they look the other way when the president uses uh, his executive authority in unquestionable ways, uh, in the same way Obama did, I might add, um, to basically address the concerns that their constituents have. And I think it's a it's a real problem with American politics right now. Well, I mean, how do you fix that, though? If, if they don't know what to do, they don't have the votes to do it. Uh, what do you do to make it work? Well, in, in the past, the voters have ultimately been the ones who write the ship, whether those voters uh, wanted to go in a more liberal direction or a more conservative direction. That's ultimately what's worked. But today, I think, and you saw this with the with the conventions, both party conventions, both sides say America is going to end if if the, the other side wins. 
And the reason why, and look, I'm not, I don't think that great things are going to happen if, if Joe Biden wins the, uh, the presidency. And I, you know, and I think that Democrats probably don't think that there's great things that are going to happen if, if, if Donald Trump wins. But the reality is those are, that's the same position. And the reason why they're taking this position, this sensationalist position, is because it scares liberals and it scares conservatives into supporting and settling for the status quo because they're afraid of what's going to happen. But the joke's on them because ultimately nothing really changes and everything keeps kind of going along as it is. And as long as the American people don't key in on that and say, you know what, we've had it, we're going to vote out. I may be a Republican or I may be a Democrat, but I'm going to vote out politicians who say they're going to do something and then don't even lift a finger to try to do it when they go to Washington. I'm going to vote those people out and it won't take long to change when that happens. Well, you know, I've talked about this on on radio and written about it recently that I used to be that guy who thought uh, this is the last best chance to save America. You got to vote in this election or else it's over socialism and nothing really ever changes. And and here we are with the amp up the rhetoric this time. You got to do it. You got to do it. And yet it's it's I I can assure people that uh, if the guy that you hate wins the election in November, uh, four years from now, we're going to be doing this all over again with people saying you got to do it. It's, It's the last election before it's over. Right. I, I was right there with you. And, and, and I don't I'm not trying to minimize the concerns and the real fears that people have. I think they are real. And I think that things will change in ways that people may not like. And and that's that's a real thing. But it's not going to be the end of the republic As one of my old bosses. Uh, Jeff Sessions used to say the republic is not going to fall into the ocean after this election. It's just not. What's going to make the republic kind of slowly slide into the uh, ocean is when the banks under it erode because no one really cares about politics anymore and doing politics. And it's all about posturing and messaging. That's the, that's the threat. That's the concern. Yeah. Posturing and messaging, which there seems to be a lot of that. Now, uh, one of the people who has proposed some reforms in the Senate is, uh, my friend, Ben Sass, who I understand the criticism from, from those who say he, he's not really a fighter. We need fighters right now. And, and all he wants to do is, is do big thinking and stuff. Uh, and, and Ben is an academic and then he does that level of thinking and he is thinking about the Senate and, and some of the, his stuff I'm reading is like, I, I, I don't know, man, um, making these people live in dormitories together in the Senate uh, sounds sounds like like very touchy feely academic and not real practical. <laughs> yeah, look, I in full disclosure, I mean, when I ran the Senate steering committee, uh, Ben Sass was one of the members on the committee. It was one of my bosses. Um, you know, I think his his heart's in the right place. His head's in yeah. the right place. But we all have jobs to do in politics or, you know, whether that be you are a member or an activist or, or an intellectual, uh, you know, and Ben Sass's job is he's a senator. And so what I find very striking about Ben Sass, and this is also goes for Marco Rubio, who says we have to redefine conservatism and stuff, you know, is that, well, why aren't these members doing this? Right. Why is Ben Sass not doing all the things that he's that he's saying we need to do? Why is he he gives these great speeches about the federal judiciary and we have too much deference to uh, judges and judicial supremacy, but then doesn't lift a finger inside the Senate to actually do these things. So, I mean, Ben Sass, you're right, is not an academic. That's not his job right now. His job is to be a senator and senators act inside the Senate to do things, to try to win there. And so far as I can tell, Ben Sass has zero interest in trying to win inside the Senate. Now, what do you think about his his practical um, suggestions there of uh, getting rid of standing committees and making people actually show up and and uh, doing a real budget and sunsetting everything? 
You know, I think, you know, I, I think that's all well and good, but the bid can do it. If you want somebody to show up to the Senate floor, then go down to the Senate floor and make a motion to proceed and force a vote on something that they don't like. Guess what? They're going to show up, right? If you want to actually start to budget, then actually go down there and try to budget. Like you don't need, the members are hiding behind the rules and saying the rules are preventing them from acting, when in reality they have all the power under the rules that they need to act. And what Ben Sass, I think, it, what comes across from his, from his uh, you know, reform agenda is that he wants politics to be a little bit more nice and a little bit more high-minded and serious. And that, you know, sure, uh, who doesn't? But it doesn't always have to be that way. And in American politics, especially in the Senate, the Senate has done really incredible things, really big things at the same time when senators are in fistfights on the Senate floor. <laughs> and what's missing today is not, you know, you know, comedy and friendship. It's a desire to actually win on the Senate floor. That's the problem. And until that, and Ben Sass's reforms don't address that. And Ben Sass's in action actually highlight it. And, and I think he can change it if he wants. Any senator can. It's not Schumer, McConnell, Sass. They well, you know what? Let, let me let me let me go go forward on this point a little bit because on Twitter you make this point a lot, and, and I, I sometimes see Senate staffers uh, want to push back on you, not not very effectively. Uh, that it, we give deference to the majority leader and the minority leader in the Senate, but the Senate is is one hundred people, all of whom can use the rules themselves, and and it, all the guys who say they want to do X, Y, and Z, they never actually grab hold of the rules and and advance their own agenda. That's right. And the reason is understandable. It, the world is a very uncertain and chaotic place. You're, these are high stakes. No one wants to stand up and, have, and be wrong or to cause untold damage. And right now, senators are operating in an uncertain environment with incomplete information. And it takes a lot of effort to do the kinds of things that senators once did. And in, in the act of doing that, their constituents can see very clearly what role they played. And all of a sudden it's easier to hold them accountable. So I understand why senators don't engage in, in the, in the process like they once did, but that doesn't necessarily excuse it. And there's, I was reading a report today, Chuck Schumer said, if they come to us on this coronavirus bill that, that, that the Democrats just bought, if they come to us, we could get something done. Well, you know, Chuck, you're the second most powerful leader in the United States Senate. Because you get recognized after Mitch McConnell. That's the only thing the leaders have, incidentally. You're the second most powerful senator. So why on earth have you not lifted a finger since May to address the coronavirus issue? Why haven't you? If you think it's so important, why are you waiting for the Republicans to do what you want them to do? You have to force them to do what you want them to do. And you may lose, but you have to try. And so I'm, I'm, I find it laughable. The, the Democrats can blame Republicans for inaction when they have all the tools to actually force that action. <laughs> they, they do. Let, let me ask you one last question. Uh, the committee process in the Senate, I, I sometimes hear people say, uh, we need to let the committees do things. And, and this seems to be a, a bipartisan criticism at this point, but no one ever wants to change where uh, leadership drafts the legislation either in the House or the Senate and then drops it as opposed to letting the committees form it in some sort of bipartisan basis. Is that just uh, a, a Pollyanna ideal or, or is there an issue there? I mean, committees are, are very valuable, very helpful things, but they can also be harmful. 
in the Senate, in particular, committees don't really resolve controversial issues. They haven't in a long time because the committees will typically postpone those issues for the floor and will let the and let because senators are going to raise them there. So why have to adjudicate it twice? I think committees can be dangerous if all of a sudden they say we're the experts and you're not. And so therefore you can't weigh in on this issue, um, especially on really controversial major issues. But, you know, the real problem is that we have, especially in the Senate, a situation where no one there's no process anywhere. It's like it's a it's seen as a factory and they all they need to do is just assemble this product that these leaders have designed elsewhere. And senators aren't factory workers. That's not their job. They get to design it. And of course, it's going to be dysfunctional if you expect senators to behave in that way. And so the it's not necessarily just our unwillingness to let the committees do their job. It's our unwillingness to let senators do their job. Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, do, do you do you see anyone willing to actually change it or are we just stuck in the status quo? There are, I think there are a lot of really talented senators on uh, across the spectrum on both sides of the aisle. I mean, one of my old uh, bosses, my, Senator Mike Lee, tried valiantly to change it for a, for a very long time. And it's hard. Changing an organization from the inside is a very hard and thankless task. And, and I think senators are still trying to change it. But ultimately, in, in the past, when you see the Congress change how it operates, for better or worse, it's when you have large numbers of new members come in all at once. And it took the Republican Party of five, six years to get a handle on what the four or five new conservatives that came in on tw in 2010, because it's and that was just four or five. You, it takes a while to socialize that many people into an environment where they shouldn't do things. And if we have wave elections where you have new members come in and who aren't socialized right away, I mean, look at how long it took AOC to get socialized into the process. She was very disruptive to the Democrats early on. And so that's the trick. And you just need new members. And, and those new members will then join with forces with members who want to change things now, like Mike Lee and others, and then things will change. Well, let's have a wave, just just not with a bunch of Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James, I'm listen. I'm always an optimist. Well, I, I'm I'm glad you are. You can be an optimist for both of us. Maybe, maybe the dogs will have a good good season too, as as football resumes in America. Uh, look, man, it, it's good to talk to one, you. Can I leave you with one thing though? Just to, is it, even with an optimism, if there's a wave Democratic election, if Democrats show up and actually try to start doing things, then conservatives hopefully will stand up and try to stop them. And if you yeah. think the conservative ideas are right, then hopefully that's a good thing. You want those ideas out there in the world so that people can see them. All right, I'm. I, you make a good point. I, look, I appreciate it. I got to let you go there. It, it's always good talking to you. We, I hadn't talked to you enough in the last couple of years, but I sure appreciate all the work you're doing. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely, James Walner, uh, R Street, a uh, great, great think tank up in D.C. That they, they really they're conservative. They they don't really care about party politics. They're they're focused on free markets and free people. Uh, and and he's just a good guy, and also a a, a good graduate of the University of Georgia. Late in the morning on the Tuesday that changed everything, Lieutenant Heather Penny was on a runway at Andrews Air Force Base and ready to fly. She had her hand on the throttle of an F-16 and she had her orders, bring down United Airlines Flight 93. The day's fourth hijacked airliner seemed to be hurtling towards Washington. Penny, one of the first two combat pilots in the air that morning, was told to stop it. 
The one thing she didn't have as she roared into the crystalline blue sky was live ammunition or missiles or anything at all to stop the hostile aircraft except for herself in her plane. So that was the plan. Because the surprise attacks were unfolded in an innocent age faster than they could arm warplanes, Penny and her commanding officer went up to fly their jets straight into a Boeing 757 airliner. We wouldn't be shooting it down. We'd be ramming the aircraft, she recalled. I would essentially be a kamikaze pilot. For years, Penny, one of the first generation of female combat pilots in the country, gave no interviews about her her experiences on September 11th, 2001, which included eventually escorting Air Force One back to Washington's suddenly highly restricted airspace. But 10 years later, in 2011, she reflected on one of the lesser told tales of that endlessly examined morning how the first counterpunch the U.S. military prepared to throw at the attackers was a suicide mission. We had to protect the airspace any way we could, she said in an interview from Lockheed Martin, where she's the director of the F-35 program. Penny, now a major but still a petite blonde with a Colgate grin, is no longer a combat flyer. She flew two tours in Iraq and served as part-time National Guard pilot hauling VIPs around a military Gulf Stream. She takes the stick of her own vintage 1941 Taylor Craft tail dragger whenever she can, but none of her thousands of hours in the air quite compare with the urgent rush of launching on what was supposed to be a one-way flight to a mid-air collision. She was a rookie, the first female F-16 pilot they ever had at the 121st Fighter Squadron in the D.C. Air National Guard. On that Tuesday, they had just finished two weeks of air combat training in Nevada. They were sitting around a briefing table when someone looked in to say a plane had hit the World Trade Center. They assumed it was a Cessna. When it happened again, they knew it was war. But the surprise was complete in the monumental confusion of the first few hours. It was impossible to get orders. Nothing was ready. The jets only had dummy bullets from their training mission, so she had to be a kamikaze. That was written in 2011 in the Washington Post. Uh, We always lament sometimes that we don't make them like they, they used to make them, the greatest generation of the World War II generation, but people rise to the occasion in the age in which they are. She rose to the occasion and so many others did. We have not been confronted with a time like that time where people have had to rise to the occasion. Uh, Perhaps we will again soon have one of those occasions, but we shouldn't lament that we don't make them like we made them before because we do. We just haven't had to produce them yet, but there are good people out there.